Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio on this Wednesday evening. And now, starting for the eighth year, the eighth season, we take over for the next couple of hours right here on Texans Radio from our good friends at Sports Radio 610. It's game week, and you know it from a radio standpoint because last night we had players show, although there's no players because they're getting ready for the game this week, um, but we will have players, but had Trap J last night, Travis Johnson, then you had All Access, then you had Replay, which I did, which was a very fun show to do, and hopefully you're listening to that, and if you didn't, I believe we're going to make a podcast out of that, so you got to check out Texans Replay, and then it really kicks in tonight because it is two hours, so that means more work for me, but... As Ernie Johnson told the University of Alabama, there are got-to jobs and then there are get-to jobs. I get to do two hours of radio tonight. That's how I've always looked at it, so I will look at it. Ernie just put it in the perfect terms. So, we have got a lot to do. You are going to hear exclusive one-on-ones with Nick Casario, David Cully. Mark's going to join me, obviously, for those, and he's also going to join me. We're going to talk about this game. We also have got, we're also going to go behind enemy sidelines with J.P. Shatterick, who covers the Jags for Jags.com. And he's one of our great friends in the AFC South, just in the business, really. And D.P. City had a chance to dive deep into this one against Jacksonville. And then we'll give you a little bit of In the Lab that Drew and I did this week, uh, talking about any number of things in this particular matchup with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So it is the third time in five years the Texans opener, Liberty White opener, is taking place against Jacksonville. 2017, eh, not so good. Saxonville showed up in Gawkway, Calais Campbell, all of them. Jalen Ramsey just shut us down. It was a bad, bad afternoon. It was the first game back at Energy Stadium after Hurricane Harvey. A lot of emotion in the building that day. Got thumped. 2019, came back here, favored to knock off a team that featured a rookie quarterback in Gardner Minshew. Offense laid an egg. Defense stayed strong until the fourth quarter. And then Justin Reed came up big with a stop at the goal line to Leonard Fournette for a Texans 13-12 win. So in the last five years, those two split one and one. And Sunday, it will be Jags-Texans. Both teams' openers. Texans home opener, like I said, for the third time in five years against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, as I said, there's a lot to get into from this particular game, and we're going to. we got to get into some news. So let's get to our hot reads presented to you by Geico. And when we get into game week, man, there's a lot of things happening, especially with what we've had going on here uh, with this team, all the different moving parts, all pe- you know, te- it happens all across the league. Don't get me wrong. Players are hurt. You got this guy you're bringing in. You're putting this guy in the practice squad. And what's unique is you can put veterans on the practice squad. And because of that, it's like, wait a second, is that guy go to the practice squad? Did he go to the official roster? Oh man, it's hard to follow all that's really going on. But I will try in this first hot read to kind of encapsulate the last couple of days and update you as well as I possibly can. So let's go back to Tuesday. The official transaction came out that the Texans 
had signed the following player to the practice squad, kicker Joey Sly. Now, if you've seen Sly, you know that when he stands next to Cam Johnson, those two are going to have a bicep comparison contest that's going to be close. Those dudes are yoked. For punter and kicker, yoked. Nobody will have punters and kickers that look like those two. Now, I bring that up and say, Joey Sly's the kicker. Well, we don't know that for a fact. But there was a transaction that went down today, and we'll get that in a second. But the corresponding transaction was that Cornell Armstrong was waived by the team. Uh, Fourth-year man out of Southern Miss, he is waived from the team. So that then leads you to today and today's transaction. Now, not all of these transactions have been announced. The official transaction list came out from the team, and it looked like this. Uh, let's see. There were a number of different transactions. There we go. I got the right one here. Number one, the Texans signed the following free agent going straight to the 53-man roster, and he will wear number 89. And this is where kind of the numbers all sort of merged together in preseason. Taiwan Taylor wore number 89. Well, now it's going to be the Woodlands' own Danny Amendola. Joins this squad. I like this signing. I'll be honest. I was pretty excited to see him come in. He's been around the league for a long time. This is his 13th year. He's undrafted out of Texas Tech and just made, you know, willed himself into a player. And yes, the Woodlands, not I wouldn't say it's Houston, but it's the greater Houston area. It counts. Now, you go a little bit north of that, Conroe's really pushing it. But once you get beyond Conroe, you forget it. Either way, Danny Amendola, a Texan to the 53-man roster. Now, there was a lot of talk after the cuts were made about, well, man, they got five wide receivers. One of them is a returner, and he's been banged up, Andre Roberts. One of them is Anthony Miller, who was hurt in the Green Bay uh, preseason game. Holy cow, they've got Brandon Cooks, Nico Collins, and uh, who am I forgetting? Oh, Chris Conley. That's it. So, Nick Casario was asked many times, what are you going to do about the receivers? Well, Danny Amendola joins the 53-man roster. Let me go back to that point about Joey Sly being added to the practice squad. Because of this note, the Texans have placed the following player on the reserve slash injured list. That's Kaimi Fairbairn. Now, that's three weeks minimum. What are you going to do? Well, you went out and signed Joey Slide to the practice squad. My guess is there will be a transaction over the next couple of days that moves Joey Slide to the 53-man roster because Kaimi Fairbairn has moved to the IR. So... Saturday night against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, what they thought was maybe a minor injury. And look, uh, well, I'll say something I saw on Twitter, which I thought was pretty interesting. Ask a player. There's no such thing as a minor injury. I remember when I had my back surgery back in November, and I remember Dr. Prasad saying, nah, look, it's a minor surgery. I'm like, bro, you're putting me to sleep and cutting open my back. That's not minor surgery. So... Who knows what the injury is with Kami Fairbairn, but it is putting him on the reserve slash injured list. Joey Sly uh, will seemingly step in, but it does go to show uh, and give the reason, the reasoning why Joey Sly was added to the practice squad. Maybe that with Kaimi was a little bit 
worse than maybe they originally thought. Here's the other aspect. Play game on the 12th, play game on the 19th, play game on the 23rd. So if he wasn't going to be able to play this week, eh, he probably weren't going to be able to get in the 19th. And then you have that short week because you have the Panthers coming in week three. So put him on IR. Joy Sly, more than likely going to be your kicker. We'll see if he kicks off. Justin Reed does a pretty good job. And he covers kicks. Third note in the transactions. Crevon LeBlanc. Although I'm sure it's Crevon LeBlanc. Defensive back out of FAU. I remember studying him a number of years ago coming into the draft. He was drafted by the Eagles, I believe, in 2018 as a slot corner. He's a little bit bigger than that, but he played some slot corner. It's funny because we were watching practice today, and this transaction came down about probably two, three hours ago, I guess. And so I didn't know this, but I looked out there and I was like, man, who, 34, wait, 34 is, oh, that's Cravon LeBlanc. I just recognized him, didn't need the roster, Cravon LeBlanc, to the practice squad, which means there had to be a removal from the practice squad, and unfortunately, Hardy Nickerson Jr. released from the practice squad. So those are your ins and outs the last couple days as it pertains to transactions. Now, There are two other transactions that seemingly have occurred. Now, we have not gotten full details um, on these transactions. So, this has been rumored. We don't know on one of them what the... um, We don't know what the flip side of it is. And I'll get to that in a second. So, we do know that Bradley Roby has been traded to the New Orleans Saints. Now, what the Texans got in return, waiting to see, but Bradley Roby goes to the New Orleans Saints, a Saints' desperate need for corners. They have Marshawn Lattimore and nothing else. So, Bradley Roby becomes a New Orleans Saint. And I've heard a lot of different thoughts on this and why would you do this now, what's going on. Look, sometimes a team calls you, and says, hey, I got a deal you can't refuse. I mean, it's the old Godfather thing. I'm making my deal he can't refuse. Well, maybe they got a deal like that from the New Orleans Saints. Maybe that was maybe that was a situation. But either way, both teams agreed Bradley Roby's going to the New Orleans Saints. Now he won't play in week one, but be ready to go week two. And that obviously is going to be the case here with the Houston Texans. So that takes place. Also, And this, I think, was last night I saw this. Sources saying that Jimmy Moreland, formerly of the Washington football team, has been claimed on waivers by the Texans. Now, I don't know. I haven't seen that made official, but I saw him at practice. So that seemingly as official as it gets, and it was pretty much reported everywhere. This man is feisty, plays a lot inside. And I think what you've seen and what we've seen over the last, I don't know, how many how many weeks, probably since uh, Keon Crossan was traded, we've seen a lot of movement in that defensive backfield. Russell Douglas, Kadir, Kadar Holman were, were brought in. They moved on. Jimmy Moreland comes in. Bradley Roby moves out uh, with the trade. Uh, you got Antonio Phillips on the practice squad. I mean, you just got a lot of things happening at that corner position. So... I don't want to say it's anybody's guess as to what's going to happen there uh, on Sunday. I would imagine Terrence Mitchell will hold on one side. 
I don't know about the other. My guess would be Vernon Hargraves. If I were a betting man, which I'm not, that would probably be the way that I would think about it. But we'll see if uh, some other defensive backs get involved at that corner position. In all offseason, we've been saying, well, you know, what are you going to do week one? Because, you know, week two, you get Roby back. Well, not getting Roby back as he'll be playing with the New Orleans Saints. He joins uh, fellow Ohio State Buckeyes, Malcolm Jenkins, Marshawn Lattimore, uh, in that Saints secondary, and that's going to help the Saints tremendously. That, if, if that team had an Achilles heel, it was at that corner position. They get a pretty good player, Bradley Roby, going there uh, and take care of that. So we'll see what the Texans uh, end up getting in return. But a lot of transactions as we head into week one. Amandola, 53-man roster. Fairbairn, IR. Kervon LeBlanc to the practice squad. Joey slides to the practice squad, more than likely going to the 53-man roster. Jimmy Moreland to the 53-man roster. Bradley Roby traded. I hope I got all that. And, oh, unfortunately, Hardy Nickerson and Cornell Armstrong released from the roster and the practice squad. I hope I got it all in. All right, let's go to our second hot read. As we get into game week, we get to see the injury report. And, of course, every week we're going to see the same thing in DNP. Deshaun Watson listed as a DNP. It says not injury-related. We kind of all know the situation. I think from now on I'll just make a rule that I'm not going to consider his name until he actually plays or does something and comes off that, but he will not, and that's our rule. I just won't discuss it from here on out because that's where he's going to be. Uh, from here on out, I would imagine, for the rest of the year. One other DNP, and this one also impacting the secondary, and that is Lonnie Johnson. And Lonnie's dealing with a thigh issue. He did not participate today. And that's a guy that the Texans have been looking at, thinking we've got to have him this year. He's got to be a guy that makes um, makes plays for this defense, as he did in the, in the preseason. But he did not participate. Hopefully things change from Thursday and Friday and we get ready for excuse me, Sunday against the Jaguars. The limited participants, Malik Collins, Whitney Merciless, and Kevin Pierre-Lewis. Malik dealing with a knee. Whitney and KPL both dealing with thighs. They were limited participants at practice and I've tried to understand what limited participation means at practice, and I don't know that I ever got a full and complete answer, to be honest. It it can be, well, they did everything but these couple of drills. It could be, well, they showed up to do these drills, and then they were off for the rest of the I don't know what limited participation actually means, to be honest. It's just that keep an eye on it as we move towards Sunday. Hopefully, they move from limited to full participants. For the Jags, it was two defensive backs. A DNP, Trey Herndon. I heard Urban Meyer's dealing with a knee issue. Urban Meyer was talking about him the other day, saying more than likely Trey Herndon was not going to play in this game uh, against the Texans. So that more than likely puts Shaquille Griffin and C.J. Henderson as the starting corners. The good news for Jacksonville, if there is some in this situation, is that rookie Tyson Campbell was a limited participant in practice dealing with a calf. I would imagine they drafted him in the second round with thoughts that he's going to play sooner than later. He's back, at least in a limited capacity, for the Jags. 
but a DNP of Trey Herndon more than likely not going to play on Sunday uh, per Urban Meyer. And then Tyson Campbell back as a limited participant, and there is a chance that he is going to be uh, ready to go on Sunday. We'll see uh, what Tyson Campbell is able to do. But the corner position is definitely uh, in flux on both sides as we head into this one. Okay, let's get to our final hot read, and that is going to be a little bit of Coach Cully audio jukebox. That's right, Coach Cully. We're going to hear our one-on-one exclusively that we did with Coach Cully, but he was at the podium today, and he was asked uh, He was asked about Danny Amendola joining the squad, and he brought up something that I, I forgot about. Because Amendola's been around, and of course, Coach Cully's been in some different places. Uh, they've actually been in the same building before. Here's Coach talking about adding Danny Amendola. Danny's been a quality player in this league for a long time. Uh, I happened to have Danny back in Philadelphia when I, uh, a while back. I know what he's all about. Uh, he fits the mold. We've had uh, Anthony Miller, who's been our slot guy. He's been hurt. And basically, we wanted to make sure we had some depth and another guy to be able to play that position if uh, Anthony's not able to play. And Danny fits that mold. Of course, as luck and timing would have it, the, I don't want to say announcement, but the news breaking on Twitter about Bradley Roby being traded was kind of right around the time that Coach was heading to the podium. So that was something, obviously, people wanted to talk about and wanted to know, well, Coach, what are you going to do without Roby in that secondary? Bradley was not going to play this game anyway. So basically, the guys that we playing with right now are the guys that we're going with. We're comfortable with those guys, and uh, uh, basically we've been going with those guys all training camp, and uh, we feel comfortable with that. And then we've, we brought in some other guys that uh, hopefully that will give us some depth at that position also. And, of course, the moves of Jimmy Moreland being claimed on waivers, adding Cravon LeBlanc to the practice squad. Antonio Phillips from Ball State was added to the practice squad. So they've added a few bodies at corner. We'll see how it impacts the 53 man roster going forward uh, but as coach said you weren't gonna have Roby in this game anyway so as far as the plan for this game goes they were already uh, working with the thought that he wasn't gonna be there so already, they've already had that kind of in their brains and now they just got to put that plan in place for the following 17 weeks after week one okay of course there is a matchup on Sunday of two coaches that have never been head coaches in the NFL, and that would be David Culley and, of course, Urban Meyer. Here's Coach talking about that relationship with Urban Meyer. I mean, obviously, he's been one of the best coaches in the history of college football through his career. Uh, I've kind of followed him uh, through his career from uh, when he first started, uh, even back in Bowling Green and back in Utah, and uh, uh, happened to spend four years with one of his players, uh, Alex Smith, in Kansas City, and uh, I know the kind of coach he is, and... uh, uh, got a lot of respect for him, and uh, again, you know, he 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 went about it his way, and you know, the way it went went, went for me was completely different for him. But we're both here, and uh, I'm hoping to go out and uh, you know whip his butt this week. Me too, coach. Hope you get that W over Urban Meyer. Now they met way 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 back. He was at UTEP. Uh, coach Culley was at UTEP. Urban Meyer was at Colorado State. And he had a little kind of back and forth, not a bad way, but a, uh, a back and forth with uh, Chrissy Riken, who asked him if he remembered that matchup. 
I've never really uh, coached against him per se in college, but it's just the fact that uh, uh, when he was coaching in college, I happened to to be a part of a staff that had one of his players, Alex Smith, who uh, when he was there. But I do know about him. I, I do know about. As a matter of fact, I know some of our players on our team will get mad at me at this, but uh, especially the Michigan guys. But I've kind of been an Ohio State fan for going way back. Well, I guess there was a game in 1990 when you were at UTEP and you was at Colorado State. Do you remember this? I don't remember that. That's a way, that's way, way back. But uh, I do remember being at UTEP, and I know it was a long time ago. But I do not remember it. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, I'm not, I can't remember if we won or we lost. Uh, uh, Urban won. He won? Okay. Right. He's won a whole bunch, so that's not surprising. You know how far ago, how long ago? 1990 is that was my freshman year in college I'm playing at Brown that's the last time that Urban Meyer and David Cully met on a football field taking one another on UTEP v Colorado State so yeah man that's a that's a long that's a long time ago man was that 31 years man it feels like it feels like 50 at the same time it feels like five. Oh man this final one made me laugh and here's why it made me laugh. Because I go on the social medias, I know it's social media, and I go on Twitter and I see people talking about unofficial depth charts. And I want to puke, in all honesty, because first of all, those things are not put together by the, team, by the, the coaching staff. A lot of times it's our buddy Omar from, from PR, Omar Maju puts it together Sometimes he does it, you know, almost blindly in some cases, and sometimes he just does it uh, by seniority. He just throws it together. Now, Omar has a pretty good idea about who's going to start, who's going to play, all that, but that unofficial depth chart becomes such a talked-about thing, and I'm like, oh, my God, if I hear them talking, this happened a lot with Clowney. Is Clowney a DN? I'm like, oh, my God, it's just this. I'm like, I would lose my mind. Well, Coach Cully kind of shot the unofficial depth chart right in the face. Talking about Charles Amenahu. Take a listen to this. Who's Charles Amenahu, third on the depth chart? I, I, you know, that depth chart, uh, I guess, basically is a depth chart that came out of our, uh, our media thing. Uh, that depth chart basically is not, I guess, what I would call an update. I know this. Charles Amenahu will be playing in this ballgame, will be playing a bunch. I don't, think that's a, I don't think that's a big deal. What do you think about his performance in Greece? It's been excellent. I'm very happy with where Charles has been. Plus, that whole defensive line. You know, there's there's eight or nine guys right there that will play in this ballgame. So, essentially, Coach Cully said what I've been trying to say for a lot of years, and that is, if you're looking at the official depth chart trying to learn anything, and my man Mike Renner from PFF looked at one, I was like, the Texans don't have a rookie starting on their depth chart. I'm like, oh, my God, Mike, you're way too smart for this nonsense. Way too smart for this. Those unofficial depth charts mean about as much as the gum on the bottom of my shoe. Don't buy into that. You have no idea who's going to start playing. And it does, and it changes from week to week. It's hooey. How about that? I don't know if that's a word, but we're going to use it for that. All right, coming up on the other side, GM Nick Casario sat down with Mark and I. We talked about this situation on Sunday against the Jaguars. His thoughts going into game one as a GM, a lot of that exclusive one-on-one with Nick Casario next right here on Texans Radio. 
Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football sideline reporter, and lucky enough to spend some time with Mark Vandermeer this week talking to the GM of your Houston Texans, Nick Casario. Mark, take it away. Texans General Manager Nick Casario joins us now on Texans Radio. Nick, opening week, what's your level of excitement, anticipation for the opener? Uh, great to be here. Uh, all the above. I think all of us are excited for the opportunity that's in front of us. Uh, busy preparing here this week, so there's a lot of that's taking place at this point. So this is a new opportunity for us to kind of get started. So I think everybody's excited for, for the opportunity to go out there and play on Sunday and try to put our best foot forward. Nick, you, have a, you face a team with a new head coach and a rookie quarterback. I imagine through the draft process you maybe got to learn a little bit about Trevor, but how does preparation change or become more difficult because it's week one, it's a new coach, all different things they could do? How tough does that make game prep this week? Yeah, everything's new. Everybody in the league is going through that. So you go through your evaluation, especially with the rookie players. You go back to some of the things that you may have seen you yep. know, earlier in, in their college draft process. So, But, again, that kind of goes by the wayside. And, you know, teams have played three games say teams have done some teams have done more than others but for the most part it's probably been very vanilla so I think what you try to do is just trust your foundation trust your fundamentals and go out there and the game will probably declare itself in the first two to three series so once you kind of get an idea of how they're playing the game whether it's personnel grouping whether it's formation kind of what they're doing defensively same thing on the other side of the ball with yeah. coach Cullen so comes from the Baltimore system. So, you know, are there going to be some elements that are similar to Baltimore? He's yep. going to have his own spin on it. So we're going to have to – we're going to prepare the best we can about how we think they're going to play, and then we're going to get in the game. And typically the first two to three series, whether it's week one or week three or four, the game will start to declare a little bit, and then you kind of anchor in and, and go through the rest of the game. I know so much of this is a collaborative effort. Now, what do you make of the way that you prepared for this one with the three preseason games and – I guess a lot of the league got the weekend off. He didn't have that fourth preseason game, but it was a new development really in the NFL to not have that fourth game and have a little bit of extra time off maybe. And you get your roster set earlier than in the past. Yeah, if you probably took a poll around the league, I think, quite frankly, everybody liked the new structure and the new setup. So it gave you an opportunity to kind of put the team together, gave you some flexibility maybe the end of the week to kind of tinker with some things. And the players were going to be off for, for three to four days or whatever it was. So it's really an opportunity for everybody to kind of recalibrate. Personally, speaking personally, like that extra week or that extra the period of time hopefully was beneficial and advantageous for all teams. And I think everybody kind of, you know, probably took advantage of it. Nick, yesterday uh, or on Monday – Coach Cully talked about Tyrod being the starter. What does he bring to this offense? What does he bring to this organization? Yeah, I think from day one, he's been very steady. Um, he, you know, he has a good reputation. He's great in the locker room. He's great with his teammates. So, um, again, you know, there's a lot of players, I would say, that fit in that category, um, including Tyrod, that are on our team. So, um, you know, the players have come in. Their attitudes have been good. They've been very professional. They have had some varying levels of experience. So, Again, you can rely on that to a certain point, but ultimately you got to go out there and be able to execute on, on Sunday. So that's what will be the most important thing for our players to be able to do. You brought in new players all over the place, but let's focus on the offensive line for just a moment here, Nick. And in your experience, does it take a few weeks of the regular season to really get an offensive line to gel because of the limited reps in the preseason? And you have guys who might be playing who didn't play much or didn't practice much or however that works out. How do you see it? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, the game reps will probably be the best reps because once you – even after the game, you know, typically you're going to practice once a week in pads. So relative to contact, double teams, you know, some of the fundamentals and techniques that go into blocking and playing offensive line, it's the same thing on the other side of the ball with the defensive linemen. So – Again, 
the game reps, you're going to get, call it 65, 70 plays roughly in a game. All right. Then you're going to have one padded practice during the week. But that's where you're able to develop your kind of your foundation, your fundamentals. You have to rely on the things that they've learned to this point. And again, we've talked about this at various points of the offseason, you know, training camp's training camp, and then really the first four weeks of the season, you know, it's about collective and individual improvement, both, you know, as a position group and as a team. So if you can make those improvements as a team, then, you know, once you get to the end of September, beginning of October, kind of have an idea of maybe where your team, you know, really is. Nick, I want to go back to something you said a little while ago. You talked about the game declaring itself. I've, I've heard different people talk about that or say that. What exactly does that mean and how important is it to kind of understand what the game is once it does declare itself. Yeah, really, that the whole halftime adjustment thing, I mean, that's kind of a farce. I mean, because you really you don't wait until halftime to make adjustments. Yeah. So you go into the game, and you have a scouting report, and you have your game plan and say, okay, this is how we're going to play, and we think this is how the, the opposing team will play. You might get into the game, and they might be in a different person. Maybe you thought it was going to be 11. They end up being more of a 12 team. Okay, so then you got to go more to your 12 calls on defense, right? And then offensively, okay, if we put Detroit out there, are they going to play base defense? Are they going to play nickel defense? All right, if they're going to play a certain personnel grouping, okay, right. so here we're going to go to this area on a call sheet. So that's what it means by the game after the first couple series typically declares itself and really more in early downs. Third down is kind of its own entity because you only have – call it roughly 10 plays on third down. You might get, you know, 10 to 12 plays in a red area. So really the early part of the game after the first quarter, after a few series, you kind of have an idea of the flow of of how they're going to play. So then you go back and look at how we're playing. And, you know, it might be the same as we thought or it might be a little bit something different. Maybe we don't have to change anything. So that's how, you know, the early part of the game typically, again, it's not like wait until halftime to make adjustments right. because if you wait until halftime to kind of figure out what's going on in the game, like you're probably going to be, I mean, that's the end of it. All right, so what are you going to be doing on game day? What can you tell us about your role <laughs> during the game, Nick? Yeah, I'll probably be in, you know, in the press box. I mean, look, I've been in the press box for my 20 years in the league, going on 21. I've been in the press box for 19 of them. So it's probably not like sit up in the stands and just kind of watch the game. You know, uh, it's really just to kind of be in a press box, just watch the game, see the flow of the game. If there's an opportunity in a way that I can assist in any capacity, then, then I'm there for our coaching staff. Again, going back to the beginning, my goal and my job is to kind of serve as many people in the building as possible, starting with our coaching staff and players. So if I can do that on game day and provide some some value, then great. You know, if not, I'm just not going to insert myself into, you know, a situation, you know, for, for no reason. Can you remember the last time you went to the game as just a fan? Uh, <laughs> not in the NFL. No, no not at all. I've been kind of involved in, you know, since <laughs> 2001. So there's not an opportunity to be a fan, I guess. Wait, no. what was the year that you weren't in the press box? Was that when you were coaching receivers or? No, we had a year. I want to say it was 08. Just be kind of, we were going through some transitions. So it kind of, my role just kind of shifted a little bit. And then the following year kind of went back to, to something different. So it wasn't anything in particular. It's just the way that kind of the year sorted itself out. Well, you've played and you've coached. How hard is it to let go? You're involved, obviously, but just watch what you've helped develop unfold in real time during a game. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you 
everybody's doing the best they can with whatever their job is. So again, my, my, my job, my role is, you know, excited for the opportunity. And, you know, again, like you just take it one day at a time. You're not going to get, I think the one thing from my perspective is just try to kind of stay even keel and consistent, realize there's going to be some ups and downs that we're going to deal with, whether it's during the game, whether it's after the game, whether it's during the season. So I think that's the most important thing that I can provide to mm -hmm. our group and organization is just day-to-day -day consistency and just making sure that, you know, we're going to look the NFL, you're going to deal with ebbs and flows and ups and downs and, and that's okay. That's part of it. Nick Jacksonville, Urban Meyer. I would imagine over the years you've had some dealings with him. What are your thoughts about him not taking over? First time head coach, different ball game than college, but what are your thoughts about Urban Meyer stepping in and lead them? Yeah, he's a program builder wherever he's been, whether it's Bowling Green, whether it's Utah, whether it's Florida, Ohio State. I mean, you know, he's done a great job wherever he's been. So, um, you know, we have a big challenge in front of us. Um, you know, they're trying to put a program in place, as, as are we. Um, so, again, a lot of respect for what Urban has done through the years. I mean, he's been very successful essentially everywhere he's been. So, I mean, hopefully he doesn't have too much success <laughs> here, you know, when we're playing the Jaguars. But, you know, he's put together a good staff. They have a good team. So it's a big challenge in front of us. But, um, you know, there's a challenge every week, and, you know, we're excited about what's in front of us. All right, one more for you. The deployment of your staff, your whole squad, scouting for draft possibilities, other NFL games. How does that go? How do you manage all of that? No, great question. So we've actually had um, our college scouts out and about over the last few weeks in training camps. I, mean, I think a lot of them were essentially at a game all weekend, you know, multiple players. So we're, we're tracking what's going on on the college front, and then we'll have somebody, whoever our next opponent is, we'll have a, an advanced scout there for that game. Um, as part of our preparation. So you kind of have two separate entities kind of working on their own domain, but we're all collectively kind of working on something um, in their respective area and moving towards, I would say, our team development and, and player evaluation. Um, I would say that college, you know, it's interesting. I think college football, I mean, I'm sure you guys watch this weekend. There's a lot of excitement. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of good games, a lot of good players. So, right. again, it, even though it's August or September, whatever it is, you know, we're the infantile stages, but it's going to be a big part of what we're talking about in, in April. So it's not like all of a sudden April's here and there's a draft and <laughs> let's get ready to go. There's so much that goes into it. You mentioned the college football uh, games this weekend, and one thing that stood out were the fans and fans being back. You've been in this building before. You've heard this building pretty loud. How important do the fans become in this building on Sunday against Jacksonville and throughout the 2021 season? Yeah, I think everybody's looking forward to being in the stadiums. I mean, even going back to the Tampa Bay game, I mean, it was a preseason yep. game, but I thought the atmosphere was pretty cool. I mean, there was, you know, there's a lot of people that yep. were in the stadium and they're excited. So I'm sure they're, you know, anxious and kind of anticipatory and trying to anticipate what's going to happen. But to have fans, you know, out there in front of us, I mean, look, our job is to go out there and try to put the best product we can out there for the city of Houston, and that's what we're going to try to do. So, again, but going back to the fans of college football, I mean, the image from this weekend that probably stands out the most is the jump around um, yeah. Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, you wild. saw that. That was pretty cool. So, But, again, I, it just goes to show you what sport can do and the excitement that it yeah. brings and the joy that it brings. And we're going to go out there and try to provide our fans some joy and give them something to be excited about and cheer about on Sunday. Well, Mark and I figured that having GM on the show – not quite enough. How about the head coach of your Houston Texans, David Cully? We heard a little Cully audio jukebox earlier, but a little one-on-one -on -one with David Cully that we did earlier this week. It's David Cully, one-on-one -on -one exclusively right here on Texans Radio. Next on Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Of course, we couldn't have Nick Casario on the show without David Cully, right? I mean, it's not a constitutional amendment that's got to happen, but... It just so happens that Mark and I, 
I being John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, your host for this evening. Had a chance to catch up with both Nick Casario and David Cully this week. Here's our one-on-one with Coach Cully. How do you balance being physical and ramping up that way after a few days off and still being fresh for the game on Sunday, being ready for that opener? Well, Mark, one of the reasons that uh, I gave him off uh, on Thursday was for that reason, uh, being able to be ready to go, be fresh, be ready to go. We had two good days of practice last week prior to that. They practiced extremely hard. uh, And coming in back now, getting them back today, Today basically will be kind of like a walkthrough day for us. And then, as you mentioned, the ramp-up, they'll be off on Tuesday. And then we come back on Wednesday, and and we're ready to go. Coach, Mark was a little upset that you didn't invite him to the barbecue. But (laughs) that said, what does something like that do for your team when you get everybody together and you kind of leave ball to the side and you just let the guys – bond and be together how important was that to do that on thursday well first of all let me just say he was invited everybody <laughs> was invited you know he just didn't come but it was there for him he's a texan he'll so. tell you he was working all right. but, I, that's you know. okay that's okay uh you know team bonding i mean those those kind of things right there it's, it's it is about football and then there's a time where all of a sudden you kind of you just go back and just say hey look let's just hang out together let's just Forget about the football part of it. Just, you know, talk family, talk talk whatever, you know. And uh, that was a good time for us to be able to do that. And and, and I just said in there uh, earlier that uh, it was the first time that I've ever had our, my football team since I've been here clap for me when I told them we were going to have to practice, you know. <laughs> you know, so uh, I, I felt good about that. And I felt at that point that was the right thing to do. And uh, I, I still feel that way. And yep. I'm, I'm glad we did it. And uh, we're just ready to go now. How did you and the coaching staff reflect on training camp? What were your thoughts about what was accomplished? I know you weren't happy with turnovers in that last preseason game, but there were a lot of positives as you headed to the regular season. Well, the fact is that we wanted to be a very physical football team from start to finish. I felt like we accomplished that during the preseason. Uh, we wanted to be able to establish the run game, which, which I felt like we did during the preseason. We talked on defensively about taking the ball away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're talking about all the positives. We did that uh, – uh, again, other than the turnovers, uh, we, we felt good that we were right on our way. And had we not turned the ball over the way we did during that ball game uh, the last time we played, I would have felt really good about where we're at right now. I still feel good about where we're at right now, but mm-hmm. as a coach, you look back on that and, yeah. and you just say those are things that we got to eliminate. You know, you got to, you know, to win, you got to keep from losing. Turning the ball over, you got no chance to be able to do that. And so uh, we're going to focus on that and concentrate on that. And, and prior to that, we've been very good at doing that. Coach, from a preparation standpoint, all those years you've been looking at defenses. You've been looking at what defenses are doing, what your quarterbacks or receivers you want them to do. How's preparation going into this week different for you, this being the first regular season game you'll coach? Well, the thing is is that I'm not just focusing on one part of it now. I'm looking at the whole big picture. I mean, I look at the defense. I look at the offense. I look at special teams. I kind of look at uh, players that I normally wouldn't look at and see. And, and I kind of got to get a, I get an idea of, of, of when I look at that, of being able to help our offensive or defensive guys and even, Frank, uh, with our special teams and maybe seeing something that maybe they don't see because I look at it a little bit differently right. and they look at it. They specifically look at certain things. I'm looking at the big picture, and, and I think it's helped me from the standpoint of saying, man, I wonder if Frank saw this with that guy was doing it on special teams. Are they, right. And I'll go right in and just say, hey, right. Frank, did you see this guy do that? That's something that as a head coach I get to do now that I did not get to do before, right. and uh, which, is, which has been new for me. 
So for Tyrod, you announced that he would be the starter, and I don't think that was terribly unexpected or anything, Coach, but tell us what you expect out of him as far as not playing a ton in the preseason, but he's a veteran. He's seen a lot of different looks before. He's seen a lot of different things. How do you feel going into this week? Well, the fact, Mark, that you said he's a veteran. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's been there and done that. He started in this league uh, before. Uh, He's been successful in this league before. Uh, And I I didn't feel like he needed a whole bunch of work. Mm -hmm. Uh, And right now, I I feel like that he's ready to go. I feel like he has very good command of what we want to do offensively. Uh, Our players feel confident in him. uh, and, And I feel like we're ready to go with him. Coach, Jacksonville will start a rookie quarterback. You mentioned in your press conference you did get a chance to evaluate him through the draft process, so I think that would help the prep. But you're also facing the first-time NFL head coach in Urban Meyer. How complicated in some sense does that make it that you have a quarterback? Yes, you've studied, but also you've got a coach that maybe you don't know a ton about how he's going to react in an NFL environment versus a college environment. Well, again, I go back to evaluate and look at the football team on what we see. Yeah. And what we've seen from Jacksonville is is a little bit like what Urban did when he was at Ohio State. You know, I've heard him talk about they want to be fast uh, when they get in and out of the huddle. Yeah. They want to be able to get up to the line of scrimmage and go. They want to be able to run the ball, which sounds similar to some other team. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I just I look at it from the standpoint of uh, he's a rookie quarterback. Uh, he's just a quarterback on the other side, whether he's a rookie or a veteran. Uh, it really doesn't matter. We're playing the Jacksonville Jaguars. We're going to look at it that way. We do understand that he is a rookie. He hasn't played, and uh, uh, we'll just take it from there. You were able to practice a bunch of different situational work. Do you feel good about that side of things, what you were able to show them as far as different situations that come up? feel good about that, and we're very fortunate, too, that during the preseason we got to go through some of those situations mm-hmm. in a live uh, game, which also helped us because we have prepared for those. There were some things that we haven't seen live yet in the game, but that we've prepared but we, we do that every every day in practice. We have a different situation that will that could come up, that may not ever come up, that we practice. But we feel good about right now that whatever comes up in the game, we're prepared to be able to handle whatever happens. Coach, one of the things that stood out to me as I was watching college games this weekend was the impact of a full crowd. Obviously, 2020 was such an odd year. I remember when y'all came here last year with Baltimore, there's not a fan in the stands. It was the most odd thing ever. How important do the fans become – for you at Energy Stadium on Sunday? Well, this is one of the loudest stadiums in the NFL. Uh, it's a tough place to come play. Uh, it's always been loud. Uh, and, I, and I know, again, you're going back to you talking to rookie quarterback yep. in the environment here. Uh, and the one thing about this league, when you, when you can't get the snap off or you, you're hesitant about doing things, uh, it becomes an advantage. And I know I expect uh, the Texans fans right here to be as loud as they've been. Uh, through the years, and I've I've been on the other side of that. Uh, I've had trouble here in the past. Uh, coming in here, we've always felt like we had to work on uh, taking the snap with without calling the calling the snap count, yep. and uh, that's a that's a big advantage uh, to, when you when you got your fans here. All right, we got one hour in the books of this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access coming up. Mark and I chat about this one against the Jags next on Texans All Access. We start the second hour of this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I love saying that because we are in game week. That means two hours of this Wednesday Texans All Access. I'm John Harrison, joined by the gentleman you heard with me in the previous segment, interviewing GM Nick Casario and also head coach David Culley. And that would be the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer. Mark, good evening. How are you? 
And how is it to have a full game week back in our midst less than what Thursday, Friday, say was four days away, five days away? I don't even know. I'm just so excited to get to a game week. I'll be happy when we get to Sunday. I'm pinching myself. I keep thinking, wait a minute, is this really happening Sunday? There's going to be actual regular season football, right? The offseason is so long, and this one was so involved, so many things happening, and we finally got to camp. And I love the layering process. You get to the stage two with the preseason games, and now here we are. It was weird having last week with no game for what we do, Johnny, and when yeah. we do these game broadcasts, and we didn't do one last week. Uh, but I'm I'm here for it, man. 17 games. Let's go. Jacksonville, Texans, division showdown, Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I'm pumped up. How can you not be? Well, I read something today, and Vegas still has Jacksonville as a three-point favorite. So wow. people are thinking, whoa, number one overall pick in the draft could potentially get a win. And I said this to you, and I figured, you know what, if, I, if I'm saying this, I bet Mark already knows this, and you did. Mm -hmm. The last number one overall pick quarterback to win his opening game was? Was David Carr, because it came up last night, by the way. I want to be fair. Uh, yeah. Somebody might be listening right now, a lot of people who were listening last night when DP brought it up. But That's right. I wasn't sure. I kind of – I think I guessed Andrew Luck. But, yeah, David won in 2002 – and that was such a tremendous, monumental upset because obviously you have an expansion team going up against the Cowboys who weren't projected to be that good, but should have been better. And you were able to beat them that night with good defense and some opportunistic offense, which I think is how this team needs to win. Good yep. defense, opportunistic offense. And that might not be the only word to describe them because I think this team's going to try to pound teams into oblivion on the offensive side of the ball. Try to, and we'll see if they can get it done. And I'm okay with that. I really am. Yeah. I, I, you know, I want to make sure I say this properly because I don't want it to, to sound as if, you know, there hasn't, there haven't been good things happen with the Texans, et cetera. But there are times I watch a team like the Ravens and I watch the Ravens just physically take a team's soul like just physically you can see the other team like done i'm out i'm out i don't want any part of this i am done and you see teams maybe not quit but the life is taken out of them and it's taken out of them with an offensive line that had marshall yonder orlando brown you know great players and they just physically hammered you and I, there's something about that that I love. And look, I love a deep ball as much as anybody. That's my guilty pleasure. But you know what? I've been in games before where, because that's the way we played in high school, was we're going to pound you to death. And if you don't like it, you're just going to get trampled. So we won games 19 to 7. But man, in that fourth quarter, teams did not want any part of us. And it was just, that was like that extra special kind of, you know, Jonah Hill feeling like in uh, Moneyball, when they get the yeah. trade, he turns and he kind of grabs his fist like, yeah. yeah. It's kind of that feeling. So, you know what? If we pound teams into submission, that would be fun. I have no issue. First of all, I have no issue winning any which way. I don't care yeah. if you block five punts and they all go back for touchdowns. That's the only <laughs> way you score. I don't care. But if you bludgeon a team and physically just take – that team's heart out and stomp on it as you're just running by. I have, I would love to see us win that particular way. Would absolutely 
Love it. And up front, I think we're going to be better such that we can be more physical. I think Justin Britt, the physicality he plays with, I don't know how this is all going to go together on Sunday up front. I really don't. Mm -hmm. We don't know if Charlie Heck is going to be available. He's on the COVID-19 list right now, but he is vaccinated, so he could get back. So we'll see. Well, David Tully said no. And so oh, that's I right. Think he did that, say no. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you're going to see a, a new combination, but I think they have the bodies to do it, Johnny. Even if Cannon is not available, I think Christian is capable and they right. can move him and, you know, with Laramie or they can move Howard back over. Yeah. Look, we don't see how they practice game plan wise during a game week. So who knows what they're cooking up here, but I do believe they have the bodies to get it done, especially with the flexibility you have on the practice squad, because in the old days you'd have to keep more offensive linemen just to work some combination that could really help you out on Sunday. Now you can wait, wait, wait. Okay. We're going to go with this and maybe bring a guy up or maybe not. Maybe they'll just handle it with whoever's on the 53 man roster. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how they line up that way. And also Tyrod Taylor, Tyrod Taylor, Tyrod Taylor, however we're going to pronounce it on Sunday, <laughs> he only threw the ball 18 times in the preseason, 18 yeah. in yeah. three games. He completed 12. That's 66%. And I'll take that every single day of the week, right? Right. Won't you take that, Monty? 66% on the year. I yes. think that would be a career best for Tyrod Taylor in a regular season, in any season. So I'll take that, and if they can throw for about 65 64%, if they can run the ball the way they want, the way they like, I believe they'll have success. You just haven't seen the whole playbook. I know Cully had that quote on, on Monday where he said, well, you know, well, we were the preseason. That's who we are. We just want to do it better. And I think he was making a general point there about, you know, they're not going to go into the run and shoot or the, <laughs> start running the wishbone or something like that. But – 18 passes. You have not seen the entire Tim Kelly playbook. There's no way, no how. Get ready. It's coming on Sunday. We'll see how it works out. We haven't had a chance to talk about this on the air. I know you probably talked about it. Um, I, can't, I can't even remember. All the days have run together. Mm -hmm. So I don't remember the first time we saw the Danny Amendola news. Was it yesterday? We talked about it. No, it was late. So we um, – no, we, you and I weren't on the air. DP and I no. were getting done with our show. So, no, we haven't really delved into that, if you will. It's interesting watching, you know, player acquisition nowadays because you have to double check. They put him on the, the regular roster, the practice squad, because when I saw Joey Sly on the transaction list, my eyes just immediately went, okay, Joey Sly's a new kicker. Then I went back and looked at it and went, oh, no, no, he's on the practice squad. Of course, today, Kaimi got put on IR. So you kind of got to watch that. But Danny Amendola put on the 53-man roster. You and I do this a lot. What's your gut reaction to that? With Danny Amendola, they worked him out. I think they believe in what they've got here physically, right? You look at his numbers from last year, they were pretty good. Yeah. And as a slot receiver, productive. Yeah. And he'll be where he's supposed to be. He knows this system, or at least enough of it. And I think that that's what Taylor needs is – him to be where he's supposed to be. I mean, that's look, I I'm, I'm under pressure. Amendola was supposed to be there at the hash three yards down whatever it is, you know, as a quick out or whatever he's going to do. I need him to be there. I also am intrigued by Anthony Miller. Let's see. Cully was saying some things about him today that indicated 
Maybe he's not going to be good to go. I don't know. And maybe that's why Amendola is here. And maybe they don't think Amendola is a long-term, meaning long-term within the context of the season solution. I don't know either. Uh, But I'm here for it as well because he's done so many good things in this league. I think in this offense, he will be very good. And I like the signing. I I just think they – look, if they think that he's going to help them, I think they understand what they have and how it could work. So let's go. What is your gut reaction to it? Well, I think there are a couple things. Number one, you brought up Anthony Miller. Mm-hmm. Injury report came out today with five names. Yeah. One of them is going to be on the quote-unquote injury report for the rest of the season. And that's somebody yeah. I said in the first segment. I said, today Deshaun Watson goes to the injury report, and I'll read the injury report Wednesdays and Fridays, and he'll be on it, but I'm not going to continue to bring up his name. You just know he's going to be there um, until, as Nick said, until there's – there's more to go on from there. There are four other names. None of them were Anthony Miller. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting, which indicates he's seemingly ready to go, which I thought was a, was a great sign. Here's the other thing. Anthony Miller doesn't just have to play in the slot. Right. Thank so you. I think Anthony can move around a little bit. Now, I think it's optimal for him to be inside. I think he is excellent inside, but he also, you know, is interesting because when you think about, well, he's got this battle going on for the slot receiver position. You'd see him standing next to Kiki QT and you're like, well, he towers over QT. He's well put together. He's a thicker guy. So Mm -hmm. he can exist outside if you need him to. So from that perspective, you can put Amendola and Miller on the field at the same time. And I think you would be, you'd be more than all right. And I think one thing you said is dead on. And this is something, and not that not that Tyrod is a short, he's not Kyler Murray. He has not the, you know, stand on his tiptoes. But Tyrod's not the, the tallest guy. So sometimes you're throwing to a space and you're hoping, fingers crossed, my guy's got to be there. He's got to be there. And so for an offensive staff, for a quarterback, to have a guy on the roster in which you know this guy's going to be exactly where he needs to be. I don't ultimately think that, you know, a guy like Kiki QT, I don't know if that was something that was always the case. And there are some cases where Kiki was where somebody else was, where he was supposed to be somewhere else. And, (laughs) you know, there's, there are maybe some issues with that. That said, I think you can play Anthony Miller and Amendola together. Watching Amendola move around today at practice, he didn't look any worse for wear. Now, you get into a game, we'll see because the speed picks up uh, and away you go. But Nick used this phrase at his, I think his press conference, talking about inside the formation pass catchers, your slots, your tight ends, your running Mm -hmm. backs. Mm -hmm. I really have very little worry about that quote-unquote position because – between the tight ends, the three that we have seen, and between Amendola, Miller, and the running backs, they're all very good inside the formation pass catchers. And I think they'll be able to put some pressure on the Jags and subsequent defenses because of those groups. And we know that Tyrod does like – I should say does like he's – not, he's not afraid to take profit. That's a three-yard check down. I'm taking oh, yeah. three yards. That's a little uh, seven-yard circle route. I'm taking seven yards. 
he will take the profit. And when you have inside the formation pass catchers like those, I think you're going to be okay. I actually was okay when I saw it. I saw the, you know, the money. I don't think the, the money's really not really all that big a number. It doesn't really, I think, hurt you. Here's the other one, your gut reaction. Okay. That's Bradley Roby being traded to the Saints. Your gut yeah. reaction to that. Well, look, I went to my buddy John Harris and I asked him, like, how does this affect them in the secondary? And <laughs> John Harris said that they play a lot of zone, that maybe Roby's skills are more suited to man. Not that he can't play zone, right. but that it was a deal Nick felt he had to make, right? And that's what Cully said, too. They all say yeah. this, right? All the coaches yeah. and personnel people say this. You do what's in the best interest of the team. That's what they felt like was in the best interest of the team. The return, what they have on the roster. Look, they got to get pressure on the quarterback. Roby or no Roby. Roby right. or Deion Sanders in his prime back there. They've got to get pressure on the quarterback. And I think that's the prescription here. That's that's the job description of that front seven to find a way to get there. And that's how they're going to live. You know, that that's how they'll live or die this year. It's not because they have four pro bowlers back there. Not that those guys can't play, you know, Justin Reed and friends, not that they mm -hmm. can't play, but you've got to get what you got in the preseason, which was backfield penetration, forcing Aaron throws. Look, I know Brady had those two drives. It's Tom Brady. The ball was right. coming out lightning fast. Like yes. I, speaking of people being where they're supposed to be when Tampa Bay was warming up, I thought, Pro Bowl team. I mean, look at all those yeah. names, you know, and Brady's had all this time with them now yep. and they're going to, it's not like they're going to start where they started last year when they went to new Orleans and it was really tough. No, they've lived together now. And he's been with Antonio Brown before. Obviously he's been with Gronk for years. They're the most prolific playoff duo ever. And they are all in their spots. So Brady just drops back. Bam. I'm going to throw it here. You'll be there. Bam. You know, it's not going to be that way every Sunday. It certainly won't be like that this Sunday. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to, he's going to get some of his. All right. I'll be shocked if they don't go deep to DJ Chark and get one or maybe two big plays out of him. But I think over the course of time, third and fourth quarter, the stronger team, the better conditioned team, the more physical team will prevail in this game. And I'm hoping it's the Texans, but I, it's a long answer to your question, which is, look, they felt that was the right thing to do. Uh, Roby wasn't going to play this Sunday anyway, like right. Cully said, let's see what they got. And I don't think they're done, Johnny. You know that if Nick is looking everywhere for improvement on the back end to get the best possible players back there. He traded for two guys two weeks ago and then cut them because, eh, you know what? I took a shot. Didn't work out. I'm going to take more shots. And yep. he continues to do that. No doubt. Now, you mentioned one of those guys, DJ Chark. I have said every single time I've written, know your phone, my keys to the game, you got to keep Chark in front. What else about the Jags do we need to know? Well, DP City goes behind enemy sidelines with JP Shatterick next, right here in Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter, used to live in Jacksonville, Florida, where our next guest resides. His name is J.P. Shadrick. He covers the Jaguars for Jaguars.com. He has become one of our best friends in the business, and he sat down with D.P. Sidhu to go behind enemy sidelines. D.P. and J.P. right now.
It's Enemy Sidelines this week with J.P. Shadrick of the Jaguars Radio Network. J.P., I talk to you twice a year. It's week one. You've got to be excited. The Jaguars opening up the Urban Meyer era and the Trevor Lawrence era right here at Energy Stadium on Sunday. It's been a long time coming, D.P. It's always great to visit with you. And here we are on kickoff weekend finally. And what an offseason it's been for the Jaguars organization. First of all, finishing 1-15, and which is not great, but that means the number one overall pick is coming. And people pretty much knew right away, no matter who the coach was going to be, that Trevor Lawrence was going to be the pick. And then Urban Meyer comes in, one of the all-time winningest head coaches in college football, has a history just down the road at Gainesville as well. So, you know, it's a big swing by ownership to go out and get Urban Meyer in here to reestablish the culture and and own the Jaguar head logo again. That's the tagline these days from Urban is own it. You know, be proud of that logo again. That's really where it started in the offseason. So we're here now and have a quarterback in play, a retooled defense. And, you know, there's a lot of optimism around Jacksonville right now. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. I, I do feel like there's so much optimism, you know, after finishing one in 15, getting the number one overall pick, a new head coach. How does that change the expectations? I always find that so interesting because while there's a lot of optimism, are expectations high or, or what are people expecting of this Jaguars team in 2021? I think it depends on who you ask. There is a part of, I guess, every fan base, but certainly the Jaguars fan base thinks they're going 17 and 0 this year. Well, reality <laughs> might set in pretty quick here. It is a team still that went one in 15. There are a lot of new parts around here. You know, a few weeks ago at the start of the preseason, uh, Jaguars owner Shad Khan joined us on pregame radio, and I, I asked him a similar question. What are your expectations for this season and beyond? And he said, sustainable success, year-over-year year improvement. What does that mean for year one? Didn't have an answer for that. But, hey, you know, at some point set the foundation and then in the years to come be a consistent football team that is in the hunt for the playoffs and beyond every year. So that might not be right away. There might be some bumps in the road with a rookie quarterback and a, a new NFL head coach, you know, but you know, if they get something going early, you get a little momentum. You do have some veteran players around on this team too. You never know. That's the expectation. I think just set the foundation. Everything I think DP revolves around the quarterback. Anything you do is to get him right or get him improved, or help him move along to the next week, whatever that is, because he is your 10 to 15-year quarterback. At least that's the idea right now here in Jacksonville. All right, so it's all going to happen with Urban Meyer. Obviously, so much success in college. You know, what is he like as an NFL head coach? Did he have to adapt his style at all? What was that transition like going from college to NFL, or is he the same guy that we've seen through all those years in college? Well, you know, in the in the years in college, it's a different environment. You're dealing with teenagers, first of all, you know, 18, 19 year olds when they come in, you're sitting in a living room when the kid's 16 trying to get them to come there. Uh, now you're dealing with 23, four or five year olds or, or older in many instances, and they've been around the league and okay, maybe the, the messaging might be a, a little bit different, but the messaging is what Urban Meyer really hung his hat on and the attention to detail and preparation every week. That's not going to change from Urban. I mean, the guy's written books on organizational theory and, and how to get a football team ready to play. That's what he knows. And, you know, there might be occasionally a veteran that might, okay, it might be said a different way. It's still the same idea. I think that he'll have in college, uh, and if for some reason down the road, there's a, a veteran or somebody that just can't handle it or is not happy. 
they'll find somebody else to do it. That's the way it's going to be. Urban's going to be here for a while. It's his organization now. Uh, he believes in certain way things are done organizationally. And as time comes along in the NFL, he might adjust some of that just because of the personalities involved. But as of right now, he's really kind of setting the tone there. Now, I will say he is very close to the players, it feels like. Shad Khan, the owner, and Urban Meyer, the offseason, uh, and, and, and the GM, Trent Balk, he all made a point to give everything the players need to be right. All this rejuvenation things, and they've added a lot of um, um, infrastructure here in the building to help players get right and, and want to keep them around here and not have to go spend their own money somewhere else to go get right after a football game. That's step one. And Urban has a pretty good relationship with a, a – a lot of the veteran guys on this team and brings a few of those guys in on a weekly basis to get their ideas on how to approach things maybe differently. So he's not just going in, you know, flying blind and, Hey, this is my way. He is listening to a lot of things, but I think at the end of the day, what he feels is right. He's what he's going to do. He's going to get every, um, every bit of information he can from people who've been around the league, which he did before he got the job. And now that's even the case now. All right. What about Trevor Lawrence? Because, you know, when OTA started, it seemed like he was under a microscope. Everybody was mm-hmm. dissecting every single throw, all of his performances. You've been there the whole time. So when you look back and, and look at the forest through the trees, you know, where have you seen the most growth from him, the most improvement? You know, what does he still need to work on? Trevor is, is everything that's been advertised, I think, so far. You know, he's going to have a pretty good handle of how the offense is going and, you know, getting the ball out to the right place. And he can make pretty much every throw in the field, at least so far we've seen in practice, which is great news. I think the speed will be interesting to watch. Yes. He was in the ACC and yes, he had a lot of success at a high level. And, uh, but that's a lot of times the the first time out against a true NFL defense, not a second team preseason defense anymore. Uh, A half steps, a big deal can he anticipate certain things in the regular season that might come his way? Uh, you know, it, it feels like he has it above the shoulders to deal with that, but I think there, there will be some times where he, he throws interceptions. I mean, you look at, I actually went this week and looked at number one overall pick quarterbacks. And in the common draft era from 67 to now, there have been 25 previous number one overall pick quarterbacks in their first career start. Four wins, 20 losses, and one tie. And none of them performed well, even in the wins. So there's going to be a little bit of growing uh, that happens with Lawrence here. He's going to throw some interceptions. It might not look great at times, but you know there are times where he's going to be able to overcome that with his arm talent down the field and the, the guys you have outside on offense. I'm confident in him. I'm confident in his ability to learn the offense, adjust, adapt when things aren't going well. If he has to use his legs, he can do that too. Uh, just trust the people around you. I think that's probably the thing with, with Lawrence. He's got a veteran offensive line to help him out and some, some veteran players outside as, as skilled players that he can lean on here. JP, you forgot to mention who the last number one overall pick was that won their NFL debut. I believe you hmm. tweeted it out. The last one was David Carr back in 2002 <laughs> with the Houston Texans. Right. He didn't perform well that day either, DP. It didn't matter. We'll take the win. It was the it was against the Cowboys. It was Sunday night football. I was actually at the game, not working, but as a fan. And it was probably one of my favorite, favorite NFL memories because it was that was a lot of fun. All right. So Trevor Lawrence is a starting quarterback. Urban Meyer announced it, but there seemed to be some hesitation before he announced his starting quarterback in camp. 
Was that just a matter of giving Lawrence enough time or did something change? Did he want to see something out of his young quarterback before he named him the starter? I think he gave his word to Gardner Minshew the second that he would give him an opportunity in camp to go work out with the ones. And Urban actually said that early when this thing first started, it wasn't a great relationship with Gardner Minshew because, you know, they just drafted the number one overall quarterback and he had, he read the writing on the wall, but as time went along, they, the relationship grew a little bit urban and Gardner. And he, he said, Hey, we're going to give you a chance to go out with the ones, do some things. Those chances came and went and they didn't really go that well. And it was pretty clear that obviously Trevor Lawrence was a lot better in those situations than Gardner Minshew. So he, he held up his end of the bargain. Gardner had his opportunity they traded him on for a six-round pick, maybe a fifth if he plays in three games, half of three games this year. So you move on, and that's fine. I think that's what it was all about. It was always Trevor's job. I think you, they put it out there as, okay, Trevor has to go out and perform. He can't just lollygag through the preseason. You still have to go perform and play. All right. Well, the Texans have five running backs on their roster right now. And Can we borrow one? The Jags only have three, two of which were former Texans, Carlos Hyde and Dari Agumboel, and it looks like Duke Johnson is on the practice squad there. And of course, James Robinson, the undrafted now in his second year. What do you expect out of that run game? Are they going to rely more on Trevor's mobility or do you foresee a three down back there for Jacksonville? Well, Urban on Monday said that, uh, yeah, there will not be any cold runs for Trevor Lawrence, you know, as much as he, you know, might want to do that with his past offenses in college. Uh, they've got other people they pay to do that now. And uh, Trevor's an important piece, let's say, of the offense. So, yeah, James Robinson going in the year two. The entire offensive line is back, TP. They're very confident in that front five um, from left to right, all the way across the board. And they have some younger guys behind those players that can fill in if needed or when needed. So, And they ran the ball last year when that's the only thing they could do. They couldn't throw the ball down the field. They had three quarterbacks play last year. All they knew how to do was run the football when teams are stacked up in the box against them. So there's some confidence there. The the piece that really hurts is Travis Etienne done for the year. He was the first-round pick at the end of the first round this year and hurt his foot, surgery. He's out for the season. He's on IR before the 53, so he's done. Uh, that was going to be a big piece to spread out this offense some. He was going to line up at receiver in the slot, pre-snap motion things, and he's just not there for that. So how do they fill that role? I don't think you can with one guy. It's a combination of uh, different things in offense. That's why Duke Johnson, I think, might be here at some point. He's on the practice squad now as a pass-catching option out of the backfield. LaVisca Chenault might do some of that pre-snap motion things and, and maybe line up in the backfield some. He's done that before. It's going to be a, a by committee to fill what Travis Etienne, I think, was going to be for this offense. But the thing is, we never saw it, you know? I mean, so they don't have to admit, oh, Travis Etienne was going to do all these things, though they did say that in the offseason. So how do, they, how do they manage that? How do they figure out some wrinkles in this offense around Trevor Lawrence? I think they've got enough different bodies where they can get by with it, I think, early. The long-term play, it, does it does – it, you might get a weekend and then everybody will have a book on, on that. How do you adjust as the weeks go on with limited resources in terms of personnel? All right. I saw that DJ Chark uh, hurt his hand in camp, but is expected back for week one against the Texans. What does his presence do to sort of boost that offense? And is it much of a concern that he didn't get those reps in camp with Trevor Lawrence? You know, how do you foresee him getting back into the fold? 
He had a hairline fracture in his middle finger on his right hand early in training camp, so he missed a lot of the preseason. Uh, but he was back the last couple of weeks working off to the side in full pads, running routes. And so it was fine. It was a very minor uh, procedure that he had done. So he's confident. He talked uh, last week. He's ready to go and get back and, and, and be on time with Trevor and all these things. But you have to go play. That's the one thing. Now, for, for Chark, he, they feel like he's the deep threat. He's the guy that can go down the field, can jump up and, and make those 50-50 catches and all those things. Uh, it is a big year for DJ. It's his contract year. It's the fourth year for him as a second-round pick, and he has a Pro Bowl on his resume already. He'd love to have another one in a contract year. So this is a big moment for him. And I think uh, they had a pretty good offseason together. Chark uh, and, and Lawrence and the crew were all together. They went up to Clemson and, and did some things in the offseason on their own, which is a good start, good sign. Uh, I think Chark is going to be okay. I, I'm just curious – I couldn't tell you a number. What, what's he going to get this year? What's this offense really going to look like? I, you really don't know yet because it's all brand new. But you you have a pretty good idea if he can stay healthy that Chark can be that guy down the field with Marvin Jones and the you know a veteran player who can run routes crisply and and be a reliable presence. And then Chenault is the big physical receiver. There are different types of bodies, different types of receivers, and. Chark is the guy they just didn't have. They didn't have a downfield threat at all in the preseason until the very last game when they had to sign guys off the street to come play and run go routes, right? They didn't have any of that in the first couple of weeks. Now the full arsenal's back. There should be some play down the field. All right. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the Jags defense because obviously they hired a new defensive coordinator like the Texans did. Um, they hired the Ravens D-line coach, uh, Joe Cullen, I can't quite figure out if it's a 3-4 or a 4-3 or what it is, but what? how can you describe this Jaguars defense, and, and what's the transition been like for the players? I guess you'll just have to find out on Sunday, DP. That's the, how that's <laughs> going, of course. It's a 3-4 on the depth chart. Uh, Jill Cullen has said they're going to be multiple, so they might have some four-down lineman looks. They might have some two-down lineman looks. They might have – uh, dime packages come in and personnel changes all over the board. That's what they are envisioning here. And remember Baltimore, I mean, they, they blitzed from all over the place. I mean, that's probably an idea of what this thing could look like, but it is all new. It's newer than anything on offense. I mean, the entire defensive line for the most part is new, except for Josh Allen and Caleb on chase on. They're now officially outside linebackers. And then you got a new linebacker in the middle and Damian Wilson alongside miles Jack. The uh, middle of the defensive line is is all free agency or a young player in De Devon Hamilton at nose tackle. Uh, four out of the five starters in the projected starting secondary are new to the organization this year. It's a lot of change. They had like 11 different lineups in the secondary last season. So it was a, it was a disaster. So now they feel like they fixed that. We don't know. What's it really going to look like? How much does Joe Cullen want to blitz? What kind of matchups can he change each week? I think it could be a week-to-week -week kind of defense. They might have different looks depending on the scenario. They're not just going to be the Steelers and roll out 3-4 every week, no matter what, for 20 years. That's not that's, – we're by God, we're the Steelers. That's what we do. That's not the feel here. I think they're going to adjust week-to-week, -week and, and depending on the personnel and the matchups, you might see a different look in front, different looking setup every week. All right, so the Jags added a lot of free agents, much like the Texans. If you had to pick heading into 2021, the one free agent acquisition that you think is going to make this, the biggest impact on this Jags team, who would it be? 
biggest free agent acquisition? Well, I mean, we talked about the secondary. Shaq Griffin got a lot of money to come in here in free agency at cornerback, and that's a position where they really need it. And, you know, C.J. Henderson has had an inconsistent offseason on and off the field. Is he ready to go? That's a big question mark on the other side. If not, then the role of Shaq Griffin is that much bigger because uh, he's really the top guy outside. So I'd say him – uh, Rayshon Jenkins at safety is another one of those that came in. He's going to start right away, it feels like, which is big. And then uh, on the defensive line, Ray, uh, Roy Robertson-Harris came in from the Bears. That's a big hit. They actually traded for Malcolm Brown, but I would count him in that as, as a new guy also. So that's on defense. Marvin Jones, right? I mean, 10th year player, wide receiver, was at the Lions the last couple of years and had some solid, strong numbers, actually, for a guy in his ninth year then. Now going into year number 10, veteran presence, gets it. Good for a young quarterback, good for a younger wide receiver room. That's a few. I mean, they spend a lot of money in free agency, so I could go all day on this topic. All right, JP, thanks so much. JP of the Jaguars Radio Network, also on touch Touchdown Radio, calling college games. JP, where are you going to be calling college games from this weekend? Well, this week we'll be at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa as the South Florida Bulls play host to the mm-hmm. number 11 Florida Gators. And South Florida has not scored a point this season. They were shut out last week against NC State. The Gators had 400 yards rushing last week in their opener against Florida Atlantic, including Anthony Richardson, the backup quarterback with about a buck 60 on his own. So it'll be a fun environment. One o'clock Saturday at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. Had a lot of fun listening to you in that Alabama Miami game last week as well. So JP, always a pleasure. And then Sunday, uh, you'll be covering our game as we look to kick off this 2021 season. Always a pleasure chatting, JP. DP, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. And uh, thanks for having me on again. The dulcet bass tone and the voice of J.P. Shadrick of Jaguars.com and also calling college football games. I think he called Alabama-Miami for, I believe it's called Touchdown USA uh, for their network. Does great stuff. Absolutely love J.P. Great, great guy and awesome to catch up with him. Another great guy is Drew Doherty and he and I do the In the Lab podcast. We'll have a little bit of that podcast for you next right here in Texas All Access. We've got one final segment of this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, and each and every week, myself and my good friend Drew Doherty sit down and we talk about all things going on in Texans football world. Sometimes we geek out on numbers, sometimes we do these wild drafts and they're very, very fun. Sometimes we just dive in and start talking about the upcoming matchup, and that is what we did on this in the lab. Take a listen. Holy moly, John. Can you believe this since what? First time since like late December, we've done one of these, an in the lab in game week because it's game week, baby. It is game week. Finally. It feels like, it feels like it's been two years since we've gone on a field. Yeah. And I know it's just been normal timing wise off season, but it just feels and has felt so long. So to get to game week, Yes, let's go finally. Yeah. Our old pal Duke Johnson, running back for the Texans for a couple of years, he signed with the Jaguars. Very smart move, I think, by them. I think he's got he's got some juice in the tank. I think he can play. I think he probably, I don't know, I think we could say it. He probably wasn't maximized while he was here. So could be a little bit of a an interesting situation there. And then we saw the news about the Texans and Charlie Heck, the right tackle going on the COVID-19 list. That's a real bummer. 
you know, Marcus Cannon, I think, is going to be the, the guy eventually this season at right tackle. But Charlie Heck had started. He played well in week 17 when he started last year, but he had started all the preseason games all through May, June, and August, a little bit of July, and looked like he had, had taken a step. So how does that affect things in your eyes? Well, it does. Um, and essentially, I think every offensive tackle that we have on this team has uh, has contact has contacted contracted COVID. Um, yeah. You know, Jerron Christian was on the COVID list to start the year to start the season, and then Laramie got it, and then uh, Charlie Heck got it. So it's kind of run its run its course through the tackle room, if you will. Um, and then you can kind of I don't know go with what you want with what position Titus Howard plays. Um, I don't care whether it's guard or tackle. Uh, he's just going to be a factor at, at either position. And that's something they'll obviously have to see now with Charlie. Going to COVID list, how do they go about figuring out who plays right tackle? And if they do move Titus back over to right tackle because they're not totally sure that Marcus is ready or not. And I think that's a big X factor, whether Marcus is ready or not. Now, he hasn't played since January 2020. The Patriots lost that playoff game to the Titans. Mm-hmm. So he was, he was uh, off last year, but he was not rehabbing an injury last year. He just was rehabbing it in the last how many ever weeks because of something uh, that came up in and around the uh, offseason time. So he hasn't hit anybody. That takes a little bit of time to kind of shake the rust off. But guys a vet. He's been there. We'll see what they do on Sunday against the Jags at that position. Here's the other aspect. Because Charlie is vaccinated, as soon as he can get two positive tests, he can get back into the building. Now, if it's Friday, Saturday that he can get into the building, I don't know how much you can factor him in having this practice um, on key days, uh, Wednesday and Thursday. But he's been there throughout the offseason. He's been there throughout training camp. So maybe you put him back in. That's going to be one of the key factors is what happens with that offensive line. I do believe the pieces – for a really stout physical offensive line are in the building when all healthy and not COVID did. I think they've got some pieces to do some things up front, but they've got to have everybody healthy to do it. I think Marcus Cannon being healthy and ready to go could change. I don't want to say change everything, yeah. but man, what that does for you as an offensive line. I don't think they're there yet, but we'll see on Sunday how they go about it. And look, if they've got to flip, uh, Jaron Christian over to the other side and play right tackle. That's something I think I've talked about before. When he was at Louisville, their offensive scheme would bounce quick and strong. Meaning, if you were going, you know, if they, if the strong, the tight end basically was to the right, he played the quick tackle. He would be opposite of that. So if you were strong left, he would line up on the right. If you were strong right, he line up on the left. So he did a little bit of left and right. But I think in the league, he's just been on the left side. So. That sounds easy to kind of, well, it's just left, right, same position. No, uh, boy, yeah. not so much. So but, we'll, we'll see how they go about doing it um, on Sunday against the Jags. I actually thought about this driving up here. You know, I don't know how much you would get out of, out of Marcus Cannon. I don't know what the thought process is there. But even if you feel like you've got something, but maybe you don't have it all the way, maybe that's a platoon situation. I know a few years ago they did it with uh, – Chris Clark and Rod Johnson. Yes, Chris Clark and Rod Johnson. That's right. They had a little platoon situation. It's not optimum, but you deal with the hand you're dealt, and hopefully Charlie can get back soon and kind of get everybody back healthy and then figure out where this thing is going forward. But 
Obviously, the immediate need is what they're going to do against Jacksonville and Caleb on chase on and Josh Allen, two pretty athletic edge rushers. Yeah. Uh, wrapping this point up, had a nice question from on Dear Drew from one of our fans, and he asked, what's the biggest change with this offensive line aside from the coach? Like, what's the biggest factor? And I said, the four bodies to the right of Laramie Tunsil. Because, I mean, they're all, they're all going to be different uh, or playing in different positions than they were week one of last year, unless something – happens and you put Titus Howard out there at right tackle, but you just got right. new personnel there. And yep. um, some of them are familiar faces, but they're in a new spot. So that's good stuff. Okay. Jags come to town. Uh, they've got the rookie quarterback. Tell me your Texan to watch. We do this on extra points, but we also do it on this show and I enjoy it, but want to get your Texan to watch for Sunday. And usually before, you know, last year, previous few years we'd say you're texting to watch other than Deshaun Watson because quarterback and all <laughs> yeah. that you're yeah. texting to watch this year well it's funny I wasn't even thinking offense and probably should think offense I wasn't uh, either mine's mine's not offensive either so you I hope to. I don't I hope I don't steal yours but mm-hmm. I this is why I hate going first because I, I don't want to steal yours but Malik Collins God was the guy dang it. that was a good pen bounce by the right way that's why that that's what bounce. I'm gonna okay. say on that's what I'm gonna say on and Texans extra points Saturday night okay I'll let you. I'll let you keep Malik Collins and let you explain. Let me. Well, here. Let me explain my Malik. Let me explain my Malik. I got a different one. And I'll be quick. Malik Collins was a pain in the ass all through camp and in the preseason games. He was a pain in the ass for offensive linemen, as was Roy Lopez in in a different way. But Malik Collins consistently was messing things up, whether it's the Texans' offense running things or most most notably when they, they played Dallas. I'm really, really excited to see what he can do because he's a different type of defensive lineman than I think we've seen around here in a while. We certainly were on the same page with Malik Collins. You want to hear the rest of that podcast, go to HoustonTexas.com, go to iTunes, check it out, leave a rating, uh, check out all our podcasts because they are fantastic, also fantastic. The hit list on this show, Mark Vandermeer, Nick Casario, David Culley, J.P. Shadrick, D.P. Sidhu, Drew Doherty, and you. You listened, and that matters. Thank you so much, everybody. Thanks to my guys back at Sports Radio 610 for keeping us on the air. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody, and as always, go Texans.